Do you notice how fast the year is slipping away? 2017 is 2017 is breaking speed records. The year just began, and already we are in the month of May. Somewhere I heard that the final movements will be rapid ones. Rapid. The end is getting closer. Currently, in academic circles, this is the graduation season. And no doubt, during the year, there was much talk about GPA scores. Indeed, there's quite a lot of talk about being a, 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 a straight A student. Now, that's good to be a straight A student, but I don't mind being a B or a C. But I strive to do my best. But spiritually speaking, though, what is your GPA score? What is my GPA score? GPA, what does that stand for? Grace, peace, abode. Grace, peace, abode. It is the measure of the presence and power of God in our daily lives. Grace, peace, abode. The Apostle Paul, in almost all of his books, greeted his friends with the grace and peace, or grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the grace, peace, abode, the GPA. I want to have a good GPA score spiritually. Do you? From Romans to Thessalonians, grace and peace. But then when he got to Timothy and Titus, he includes somehow and for some reason, mercy, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when he got to Philemon, or some people say Philemon, he returns to the greeting, grace and peace to you. Do we need grace? Yes. Do we need peace? Yes. So at this time, I invite you to bow your heads as I seek God's face. Father God, you're a God of mercy. In fact, you're the God of all grace. And you desire your people to be full of peace. But you did say in the world you'll have tribulation. You have good courage. I have overcome the world. You're the king of priests. King of peace, the Prince of peace, the glorious Lord, our Savior. Visit us now in your mercy to the presence of your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Countdown to showdown. Overcoming joint distress. Countdown to showdown. Overcoming joint distress. Today's presentation 
is another in the ongoing series on overcoming. As we consider the topic at hand, we might say that there is a simple or simplistic definition for overcoming. It could be simply these two words, crossing over, crossing over. You know, as individuals, we tend to process things somewhat differently. So, someone may agree or fail to agree that overcoming is essentially a progression, which by nature involves movement. There is a flow, and that flow may be easily detected or scarcely noticed, be hardly noticeable. Overcoming, crossing over. In believing that overcoming is a progression, we draw inspiration from Proverbs 4.18, which says, the path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. That is, a, that is overcoming, shining more and more onto the perfect day. It is a progression, it's movement from one spot to another spot. It might be noticeable, it might not be readily noticeable. So settled on that. That fact that overcoming is a progression, overcoming is crossing over. Let's consider two points. Point number one, overcoming is all about gaining victory over death, eternal death. I repeat, overcoming in the spiritual sense is all about gaining victory over death, the second death. For Revelation says, he or the one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. In other words, Overcoming is about living now to live again. Living now to live again. Living now to cross over. My good friend, I haven't met him personally. I've seen him on TV. In fact, I did see him here when he came to Reading. Ravi Zacharias. He puts it this way. Life is not continuous apart from God. So as we live the God life now, we will cross over and live again. <laughs> Living now to live again. Righteousness, point number two, righteousness must be modeled. Did you hear that? Righteousness must be modeled. Righteousness is right doing. Right doing is obedience. Obedience, therefore, must be modeled. So we have those two points. Let's note that God is righteous. He exudes righteousness. He is true, thoroughly true to his nature. In this sense, therefore, we may say that God models righteousness. He models righteousness. He is righteous. He demonstrates it. It comes from him. 
And the book, The Faith I Live By, page 109, we find these words. Righteousness is holiness, likeness to God. The righteousness of God is embodied in Christ. We receive righteousness by receiving him. I want to thank Sharon for choosing those songs about victory in Jesus. Thank you, Sharon. So come with me at this time to our scripture text, Isaiah 42 and verse 8. Isaiah 42, 8. I somehow like the book of Isaiah. There's quite a lot that we can learn from it. So here's what Isaiah 42, 8 says. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. This is New King James. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images or carved images. This is a remarkable utterance. And it has as its, its objective clarification. Clarification. I am the Lord, that is my name. This verse presents to us a very crisp 3D picture or image. A very crisp 3D picture or image. But one might ask, what does this verse have to do with overcoming? Think about it. Let me read it. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. As we consider this verse, we need to bear in mind that God never says nor does anything needlessly. He never says, never does anything needlessly. He's speaking here. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven image. Why would he have to say he would not give his praise to another? It therefore means that there's some contention going on. What is the contention? My friend, Alan, he likes this. He talks about the great controversy. In the Bible, the great controversy is the central theme. I agree. It's the central theme. And talk to Alan about it. He has even written about that. He's approachable. You can, Alan, they can talk to you, right? <laughs> Once in a while. <laughs> Once in a while. Okay, so he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. There's more than the hint of the great controversy here. It's the conflict that has been going on for a long time. And one day this conflict is going to come to an end. But what, are the 3D, what is the 3D picture that we have? I am the Lord, declaration. That is my name, demarcation. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images, determination. So we have declaration, sorry, declaration, demarcation, 
and determination. I like, I like what it says in the Spanish and the French versions. I am the Lord, for the Lord, the definition of the rendition is the eternal one. So here when God says, I am the Lord, he's saying in essence, I am the one who has been living forever, 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 and there's none beside me. I am the Lord. So in essence, since he was there first, and that he was always there, he is prime reality. That's foundational. Prime reality. Without him was not anything made that was made. Everything, everyone is dependent on this God. So he can say with authority, I am the Lord. Now having said that, having declared I am the Lord, he wants to make something perfectly clear. Demarcation. That is my name. The French render this this way. It is there, my name. C'est là, mon homme. It is there, pointing then to a line. So it's, as it were, a line in the sand that no one can dare cross. You might try, but you're not going to do it. And that's what happened. That's why the enemy was cast out of heaven. He tried, but he couldn't cross the line. He had to get out. But he brought the conflict down to us. And it's raging. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images, determination. It's not going to happen. You know, time and time again, when he was talking to the children of Israel, the Lord said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, what was his purpose in declaring this to them? He's a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. Oh, how he delights in fellowship. Not because he's lonely, but because he wants to share his essence, his being, his life. And that's the type of God he is. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants to say to us, I am the Lord, your God. I love you. I need you to have fellowship with me. Not because he's lacking anything, but because we are lacking and he hurts for our lack. That's why he wants us to get close to him. That is my name. A boundary, a line in the sand. Fences, though, are necessary. When he says, that is my name, we need to understand that holy and reverent is his name. So then we need to approach him reverently. Consider the, the time when the law was being proclaimed on Sinai. He told them, there's a fence. Do not get close to this fence or you'll vanish. <laughs> you'll be destroyed. How do we approach God? Do we realize that he is holy? 
Do we realize that we are feeble, mortal men? My glory, I will not give to another my praise to graven images. This is God's GPA. <laughs> glory, praise, account. This account is going to stay intact. My glory, I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven image. It tells of a definite commitment to the cause, the task at hand. So when he says, I am the Lord, that's prime reality. That is my name, present reality. My glory I will not give to another, enduring or perpetual reality. He is a God who never changes. What is the purpose of this verse? It is telling us that overcoming is possible if we recognize who God is. Overcoming is possible if we recognize who God is. I said that to, to, to say this. He will never fail. He will never fail. If we are going to overcome, we need to know whose side to be on. We need to know which side wins in this great controversy. And knowing is not all. We have to align ourselves with the winning side. Countdown to showdown. Friends, graduation day is coming, and we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. But let's move quickly on. Let's focus on a little triangle. Do we have the triangle up? Triangle? Thank you. Let's look at that. There are three texts, three other verses that we're going to look at or consider. In Isaiah 42, 8, God makes himself known. Essentially, there are four points to the whole affair of overcoming. God tells us who he is. He is the stand-alone God. And now the focus is on us. Isaiah 43, Micah 6, 8, John 14, 6. So he tells us in Isaiah 42, 8 who he is. In Isaiah 43, 10, he's going to tell us who or what we are. In Micah 6, 8, he's going to tell us what is expected of us. And in John 14, 6, he's telling us who helps us or who enables us to fulfill those expectations. So we have looked at Isaiah 42, 8, the standalone God. Now let's consider Isaiah 43 and verse 10. In the New King James, it says this. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand 
that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Do you like that verse? I like it. And there's a reason why I like it. You are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen. That's the first part, it seems to me. So there are two nouns there. Witnesses, he's talking to us, telling us who we are. Witnesses and servant. And then the second part tells us that you may know and believe and understand me. So that is the purpose. Know, believe, understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. So let's look at those two nouns. Witnesses, servant. And I think the order is significant. Witnesses, servant. He didn't say servant and then witnesses, but witnesses, servant. Let's flash back to creation. God did not say, let human beings appear. He didn't say that. He created or he formed Adam separately, individually. He took a rib from Adam and he formed Eve separately. Now, why am I saying this? God created individuals. We are all individuals. Each individual is unique, one of a kind, with his, her particular endowments and abilities. Now, what, what am I getting at? Let's look at the word witnesses. Although it is plural, the emphasis is on individuality, individuals. We are all individuals, separate, distinct. But then when he says, servant, singular, collective noun as it were, we come together to form one. Witnesses, made up of individuals, then servant, a body. Let's turn to Romans 12, 4. Romans 12, verse 4. Here's what Paul said. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Now, I did say that we have our separate abilities, but what I'm getting at here is not focusing on that. I'm getting to the point that together we form one body. So witnesses, a lot of individuals, but then when we come together, servant, God's servant. Let's turn to another text, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. First Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ 
and members individually. Everyone is important. Individuals, members, and then you have the body. Let's bring that down to us. We're individual members, but we are in the one church. Christ is the head of the church. And since he is the head, we better stay connected. Amen. If you lose the head, the body goes bye-bye. So, you are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen. Now, what's the other part? What's the objective of this? It is telling us his desire when he says, that you may know. That introduces desire or purpose. That you may know, believe, understand. These three words are verbs. They are aspects of conscious mental activity. Conscious mental activity. Know, believe, understand. No. There's information. There's knowledge. There's a body of knowledge. What body of knowledge tells us about God? The scriptures, the Bible. The scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation. So God desires us to know what the Bible says. John 17, 3. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So it is essential that we know what the Bible says. The Bible reveals to us God and his plan of redemption. We need to know the plan of redemption. If we are going to overcome, we need to know what it's all about. That you may know Know the doctrines, know the teachings, but that's not all. So here's the progression. Know, the next step, believe. But before I come to believe, here's a, here's a comment. Right here. The faith I live by, page 116. The scriptures are the great agency in the transformation of character. If studied and obeyed, the word of God works in the heart, subduing every unholy attribute. So we know what the Bible says. It's important that we know. Believe. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's not enough to know, we must believe. Faith, it's accepting what the Bible says to be true. And then understand, have a settled conviction Settled conviction, standing on the word of God. Paul said, 
I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. So that's the conviction. And then Job 2 in the Old Testament said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in my flesh I will see him. So he says, I want you to know me. I want you to believe me. I want you to understand that I am he. I am the stand-alone God, the true God, the only true God. And he emphasizes this. That was mentioned in 42.8 of Isaiah. Before me, there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. That is an absolute claim. No God before, no God after. The one true God. So he tells us who we are. He has already told us who he is. We are his witnesses. We are his servant. He wants us to have that connection with him, to identify with him. Know that I am he. That's it. He wants us to identify, to connect. Then he says, before me, there was no God formed. And there isn't going to be one after me because I'm going to be here all the time. No one can throw me out and establish his own. He tells us who he is. He tells us who and what we are. He tells us what is expected of us. Micah 6, 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? So here again we have three verbs. Do, love, walk. But before those verbs, we had this. He has shown you, O man. Remember we said that righteousness has to be modeled. So in saying that he has shown you, it means that he has modeled what he expects us to do. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require? Require expectation. You expect, you anticipate, you're looking forward to some, some kind of result. And that's what God is doing. He's looking for results from us. How are we going to accomplish these things? With his strength. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. To overcome, we must be aligned to the right side. We must have the Holy Spirit within us, guiding and directing us. We must be dependent on the one true God. Luke 4.18 tells us how Jesus modeled righteousness. Submission to God is the only path to success. Let me repeat. Submission to God is the only path to success. What does the Lord require of thee? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly, with thy God. And then John 14, 6. Who is going to enable us to accomplish those things, to fulfill the expectations? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. And he doesn't stop there. No man comes to the Father except by me. Absolute claim. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. We all need Jesus. He is the central figure in all of Scripture. He is the supreme object of attention, affection, and adoration. For the entire Bible testifies of him. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. We overcome through Jesus. God tells us who he is. He tells us who we are. He tells us what is expected of us. And he tells us who helps us or enables us to overcome and gain eternal life. Countdown to showdown. Overcoming joint distress. Countdown to showdown? Yes. We are living in a time when Satan is working with all his power to discourage and defeat those who are laboring in God's service. This is the crisis hour of the world. Soon it will be the crisis minute and thereafter the crisis moment. Countdown to showdown. Things are building up for the breakdown. Great Controversy 6.22 says, Those who exercise but little faith now are in the greatest danger of falling under the power of satanic delusions and the decree to compel the conscience. We should now acquaint ourselves with God by proving his promises. We must take time to pray. We're going to overcome. We have to pray. Consider Jesus in Gethsemane. He needed to overcome. There was a lot of distress. He was weight pressed down with the sins, the weight of all sins. And he prayed, he agonized with his father. If it is possible, take this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In the remaining minutes, we are going to focus on an Old Testament narrative which presents us a tremendous bucketful of hope. It is found in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6 to chapter 8. But we're not going to read each verse. In fact, we may not even read the verse, but we'll just talk briefly. Because Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me. So there's so much that can be said. And we can't say it all. So we'll focus on a few things. This narrative talks 
about Gideon. Gideon who lived in Ophrah. Now Ophrah, they tell me, is six miles west of Shechem. Now some people say northwest, some say southwest. I just say west. And 16 miles north of Jericho. Now it doesn't matter where you are, where you live. God knows where you are and who you are. And so he saw Gideon and he was looking for a man to, to fill a mission. So Gideon it was that fellow. He lived in Ophrah. According to Hitchcock's Bible Names Dictionary, Ophrah means, or one of the meanings, is dust. You recall what the Bible says, God made man from the dust of the earth. So here, as it were, he was going to do something new, something special with a man from the place of dust. Now Gideon was an Abbey's right. What does that mean? He was a descendant of Abiezer. And Abiezer was the eldest son of Gilead. So here we have a picture. Gideon from the place of dust and Abi's right and a descendant of Abiezer who himself, Abiezer, was the eldest son of Gilead. Do you notice something here? Israel was distressed, severely distressed. God had told him who he was. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He told them who they were, a peculiar or special treasure, a kingdom of priests. He told them what was expected of them. Love and serve God with all your heart. Obey his charge, his statutes, his judgments, his commandments. He told them that if they obeyed, he would be their defense. He would help them in their situation. In fact, no man would be able to stand against them. So just as he said, who he is, who we are, what he expects, us of, expects of us, and how we are going to fulfill those expectations. He said it to Israel. But something happened. Something went wrong. They turned away from him. And when we turn away from God, what follows? Trouble. Disaster. So here they were distressed. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Why was he doing this? Because he was hiding. In fact, the children of Israel had to hide in caves, dens, and strongholds in the mountain. Why? Because it was joint distress. The Midianites were against them. The Amalekites were against them. The children of the east were against them. That was joint. They came all three in their forces. In fact, the Bible says as grasshoppers or locusts, they swarmed in. And whenever Israel prepared or planted something, they would wait till it was harvest time. They came and they grabbed it and away they went with it. The Israelites had no food. 
And that happened for seven long years. They were distressed. Was God interested in them? Yes, he was. Was he looking out for them? Yes, he was. But here they were, worshipping idols. When God had said, my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to to graven or carved images. And they were doing the same thing that he said not to do. They were worshipping Baal. In fact, Gideon's father had an altar to bear. So there was Gideon. Threshing wheat. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him under a tree. Now in the Bible it says a terebinth tree. Do you know what kind of tree that is? You want to venture a guess? Huh? Oak. An oak tree, yeah. Terebinth. So the angel came, sat on the tree, and, hi! God is with you, mighty man of valor. What? Gideon said, me? I'm the weak, our clan is the weakest. In the, in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. And you're calling me a mighty man of valor? He was scared. It was a face-to-face encounter. But the angel had a message for him. Things are going to be better. You are going to deliver Israel from the Midianites as one man. But he wanted to know for sure. He wanted to know, he wanted to believe, and he wanted to understand. Wanted to know, wanted to believe, wanted to understand. So he said, show me a sign. Wait here, wait here. I'm going to go, and when I come back, I'm going to have something. So he went. I don't know how long he took. He prepared a goat. He prepared unleavened bread, and he made a broth. And he came back, and thankfully, the angel said, I'll stay right here, and the angel stayed right there. So when he got back, the angel said, put, put the meat and the bread here on this rock. He said, pour out the broth. I don't know if he poured the broth on the bread and the meat, but he said, pour it out. And he obeyed. Then the angel touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire came from the rock. And then the angel went, disappeared. That night, the angel spoke to him. The angel of the Lord spoke to him. He didn't say whether he came back or he did it, how he did it, but he spoke to him. This is in chapter 6. And he gave him instructions. You need to get rid of that altar of Baal. Tear it down. Get your father's young bull, two-year-old bull. You're going to sacrifice that. Break down the wooden stuff. Sacrifice this on the altar, a new altar that you'll make for me. Now, what's the connection here? Are we distressed because we have idols that we are worshipping? To overcome, we have to break those down.
Now, after telling him to do that, and he did, he went out, Gideon did. He blew the trumpet. He was looking for soldiers who would fight for him. A whole slew came from Asher, Naphtali, Zebulun, and other areas. And he said, Lord, if truly you're going to give the Midianites into my hand, I want a sign. So he had already asked for a sign. Now he's asking for another sign. He said, I'm going to put this fleece out. And if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, I'll know. So that happened. The fleece was wet. The ground was dry. He said, Lord, you know, bear with me one more, one, one more chance, one more chance. Let me put the fleece out again. Let it be wet all around and the fleece be dry. And God, who can do anything that he purposes to do, allowed the ground to be wet, sopping wet, but the fleece was dry. Now, you might think that Gideon was trying to fleece God or pull the wool over his eye. No, he wasn't. He wanted to know. He wanted to believe. He wanted to be utterly convinced that God was telling him what to do. And this was indeed God directing him. So, 32,000 men or soldiers came. And God said to him, uh, Gideon, <laughs> that number is too big. Say to them, all who are fearful and afraid, go home, go home. 22,000 left. Count down to showdown. He started with a big number, he's getting down. So he was left with 10,000. Uh, Gideon, that number is still too big. What? Look at the, the hosts against us, the Midianites, the Amalekites, the children of the East. What are we going to do? So few against all that many. Still too many. I'm going to test them for you. Take them down to the water. And by this sign, you'll know, you'll set this group aside, set that group aside. There are those who are going to lap like a dog, put them in one camp. There are those who are going to get down on their knees and fill their thirst, quench their thirst. Put those aside. The number that lapped like a dog ended up being 300. And those were the ones that God was going to use to give victory to Israel. Let's go back. Ophrah, dust. A descendant of Abiezer. Do you know that the name Abiezer means father of help or my father is help? That's what it means. Father of help or my father is help. 
God was providing help for them. So he told Gideon the next steps to take. Gideon still wanted assurance. And the Lord said to him, you know what, Gideon? I want you to go down into the camp of the Midianites and listen to what that guy is saying. So he went down with one of his servants and they listened in. And this Midianite was saying, hey, I had a dream. And all of a, su all of a sudden in this dream, a barley loaf came tumbling into the camp of the Midianites. And it knocked down the tent and knocked down the other tents. This is, this is terrible. This is the, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So here we have a situation. God was talking to the enemy, revealing to them their destruction that was forthcoming. And Gideon was still a little nervous. Do I really want to do this? Now, do we see a situation here where God is telling us to go forward, go forward, go forward, and we are timid, and God has already put fear in the enemy? So when he heard that, Gideon said, okay, this is it. Time for victory. Victory in Jesus. And so he put his men in array. One group, 300 on this side. One group, 300 on that side. The other group, 300 on the other side. And the time came. What did they have as their weapons? A torch in the left hand, trumpet in the right hand. And when Gideon gave the signal, they blew. And that set the Midianites, the camp, the enemy camp, all astir and confused. And they started killing each other. And all the Israelites did was just stand in place where they were stationed. They didn't move a muscle at that time. Because the Midianites, the Amalekites, the children of the East, they were just killing each other, left, right, center. And then the kings, the princes, they wanted to run away. They should, they should have stayed and fight. But they, they ran away. And then Israel pursued them. Chapter 8. Chapter 7. Now what am, I, what am I getting at here? There are four points. The reduction of the troops. Countdown. Heading for the showdown. The test that came to the soldiers, those who had left, who were left after the 22,000 went home. What was their attitude? That's the whole thing. Yes, they still had something in them. They wanted to fight. But what was their attitude? Some of them were complacent. And that's demonstrated by those who got down on their knees to drink at their leisure. Those who were alert and just lapped like a dog, they had a different attitude. 
They were the ones that were set aside. Do you know that there's a test coming for us? What is our attitude? What are we going to do when the test comes? He brought them down to the water. We are coming to the water. As it were, the crossing of the Jordan. The dream. What kind of loaf was it? A barley loaf. Now, the barley is a good source of food-grade silicon. Remember I said that Gideon was still nervy, nervous. This barley loaf represented... Now, the silicon, what is silicon good for in the body? It helps to build your teeth, your bones, your skeleton. He needed some bone to him. <laughs> Structure, fortitude, represented by the barley loaf rolling into the camp to destroy the camp. The barley loaf also represents the bread of life sent down from heaven, rolling down. Jesus came down from heaven to bring us new life, sustenance in the warfare. We conquer through him. We overcome through him. The barley loaf represented Jesus. And then the 300 men. 300. That is significant to my mind. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. Three, way, truth, life. One group of a hundred men, another a hundred, another a hundred. Each one represented way, truth, life. 100% the way, 100% the truth, 100% new life. Jesus. Jesus. We gain the victory only through Jesus. He's longing. He's longing to anoint us with fresh oil. He wants us to overcome. What's our attitude? Will we say, baptize us anew with power from on high? Oh, now, come now and refresh us. Dear Savior, draw nigh. Amen. We'll stand and sing 258.
O Lord, our God, we are ever dependent upon you. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You long to anoint us with fresh oil. You want us to be saved eternally in your kingdom. You want us to live now, to live again. Thank you for the hope we have, for Christ in us is indeed the hope of glory. Blessed be the Lord God, our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.